you know you are capable of more because you have a burning desire to get the absolute most out of life. To starve your fears, to follow your dreams, and to realize your true potential. And we are going to do that together. This is The Andy Stort Show. Let's go. What is up, everybody? Welcome back to The Andy Stort Show. I am so pumped and excited that you are joining me today for another interview show where I am going to share some great information with you to help you think about yourself and your life and where you can join me once again on our journey towards personal development and trying to become the absolute best person we can be. It doesn't matter what area of your life you're trying to improve. I think this interview is going to give you some ideas and provoke a little bit of thought for you. My guest today is a man by the name of Michael Defini, and Michael is an author, an executive coach, and a leadership strategist working with organizations like Maserati, the NFL, the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, and many more around the world. He specializes in something called the Clifton Strengths Finder, which was created by Gallup, I think, and uh, it's been around for many years. And it's something you can use to understand your strengths and how to utilize those strengths. And he works with individuals and organizations to help them. In this interview, Michael shares some of his story as well as two of the kind of transformational moments that he went through. And I think some of you might identify with some of these. One of them is waking up one day, looking in the mirror and realizing that you don't like the person that you see, that you're not really that happy with your life. And it might not be that you are totally appalled like he was, but maybe you're just a little bit unfulfilled with what your life looks like and where you're going. And I've had that moment and luckily discovered some things that allowed me to start making some changes. And I'm guessing that if you're listening to this podcast, that you have probably had that moment and you're looking for ways to grow and improve as well. And I hope this interview helps with that. So Michael has a book called Extraordinary, The World Sent You a Map. I've read that book and uh, it got me intrigued enough to have Michael on the podcast. It's a good quick read uh, about really understanding yourself and where you're going. And you know, in this interview, we talk about a few different things. We talk about talent development because I plan on using this for my talent development hot seat podcast as well. One of the few interviews that I will use on both. We also talked about, you know, the transformational moments. I mentioned the importance of knowing your strengths and how you can contribute to a team and really even to society. We talked about the ladder of well-being and really identifying what rung of the ladder you're on and what it would take for you to move up another rung, to go from a six to a seven or a seven to an eight in terms of your level of happiness and fulfillment and well-being. And it really means you got to be honest with yourself about where you are and what you're doing and where you're going. And are you satisfied with that? And how satisfied are you? And what would it take for you to grow there, for you to move up a rung? Um, we talked about leadership and how leadership is changing. We talked about vulnerability. We talked about asking for help and why that's so important, the human side of business. We talk about teams, and we talk about the importance of giving yourself permission to be the person that you want to be. And I think that's so important uh, that we talk about at the end. So this was a great interview. I really liked Michael. I liked his energy. I like what he was all about. He's a funny guy as well. I hope you enjoyed as much as I did. So without further ado, here is my interview with Michael Daphne. 
Michael, how's it going, man? Great, buddy. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, welcome to the podcast. Really good to get you on here. You sent me your book a little while back, and I had a chance yeah. to to read through some of it. Was really intrigued by your story and some of the things that you've done, especially around helping organizations with you know leadership strategy and all the Cliff uh, Clifton Strength Finder stuff you've been doing. And uh, I've been interested in, in talking to you more about that and bringing some of your your story and your message to my audience. Thanks a lot. Appreciate it. Yeah, I've been, been doing it a long time. It's always exciting to get a chance to talk about how to help people. So Yeah, and what's interesting is you have really traveled all over the world many times and worked with so many different organizations, different cultures. Yeah. And it's kind of rare that I get someone with that level of experience because a lot of people are you know, in their one company or their one area. And therefore, they're not as, as much exposed to all kinds of different cultures, if you will, yeah. whereas you've yeah. had that opportunity. The, um, in my book, the last chapter is called Follow the Relationship. I, when I first started doing, like working with strengths years ago, I was working with volunteers um, for nonprofits, helping to see if you could mobilize volunteer teams, if they would stick longer. And so I would do these strengths finder workshops for these nonprofits, the Clifton Strengths Finder. And invariably, they had like board members, they'd have like people who are in the community, and they would say, Hey, can you do something maybe for our company? I work as a doctor, I work as a small business owner. And so that led to small businesses which led to other corporations, which led to large nonprofits. And then literally that led internationally. So now it's been, a, it's kind of a global endeavor now for me. Yeah, it's really amazing what you've done. And uh, I, I want to take a step back, you know, for our audience to know a little bit more because I think you have an interesting story. So take us back. Tell me the story of how you got started with all this and how you got to where you are today. So right after college, I am doing some work in kind of the, I would say, juvenile drug rehab space. Honestly, spent a year just wanting to kind of try and give back. But my student loans kicked in. And before I knew it, I found myself unexpectedly working for HP. So um, I know Advantage has done some work for HP over the years. Hewlett Packard kind of working in one of their call centers. And so my 20s, basically paying loans and working hard and getting promoted and thinking that was everything you're supposed to want. You know, I lived in Coronado, California on an island, you know, across the bay in San Diego. Not a bad way to live. And uh, yeah, I was just moving up the food chain. Until one day I kind of realized, like, I didn't even know why I was doing what I was doing and my life was off track and decided right then that I would basically do whatever it takes so that people would go to bed at night better because I woke up that morning. And so the Clifton Strengths Finder had just come out. Um, I was working with a couple different nonprofits in San Diego. We started using it just kind of on our own team to try to help increase volunteer stickiness. And I realized I had a knack for it. Before I knew it, I had quit HP, took my savings, spent a year traveling the U.S., working with nonprofits, just literally spending weekends in these community centers for YWCA and United Way and universities and schools talking about, do you understand your strengths? Do you have vocabulary to go with your strengths? Which is what the Clifton Strengths Finder really does. It puts words to the things you do naturally. When a year was up and my money was gone and it was time to get a job again, I got a phone call from a a nonprofit in Detroit called SOAR, actually Eagle Sports. They were doing intramural athletics for kids in the inner city where the fields have been torn down and there's no more teams. And they said, do you do consulting? And that was 15 years ago. And that one client led to United Way, which led to the Detroit Lions, which led to Fiat Chrysler and Maserati and Jeep Grand Cherokee. And those things kind of led internationally to the British embassies in Nigeria and Afghanistan and some work in Costa Rica and 
you know, about 15 years of kind of following that. Yeah, and, and 15 years of work and travel and work, you know, you, you need that first one to get started and do a great job. And totally. Hopefully, hopefully it's somebody connected, right, that can make those introductions. Yeah, spend that time in that relationship. And, works. and now, how many countries have you been to? How many? Oh, my gosh. I, I was tracking the other day. I, I, somewhere up, I was somewhere over 50 at some point, Okay. Um, countries-wise. But I literally lost track. Um, I'm now going continents. I've, yeah. I can't believe I've never been to Australia and I haven't been to Antarctica. Okay. Like, my last two. All so, right. All right. I'm feeling a little better. I've been to about 25 countries and I have been to Australia. So you got to put that one on your list. It's definitely <laughs> a, a nice one. I was lucky enough to have a client uh, fly me down there a few years ago for a workshop. Yeah. Everybody says it's amazing. Yeah. I'm looking forward to going back one day. So I want to go back to near the beginning of the story. Yeah. I know there was a moment where you know you discover this the strengths finder and you and you yeah. about your own strengths and yeah. uh, i read that in your book and i really uh what's the word i'm looking for you know recognized and really identified yeah. with what you talked about because you know everyone knows that you know we all have strengths we all have things we're good at and then we all yeah. have weaknesses things that we're not so good at and if you're in the coaching space you know sometimes you recognize if you've done hogan or something else that like oftentimes yeah. strengths can turn into weaknesses or weaknesses can be strengths in different situations right exactly. so i know you had a moment where you discovered your strengths and some of those things that you thought were weaknesses could actually be strengths yeah i think when i first took strengths finder i remember thinking i was going to love it oh this is gonna be a great test only to realize that all the things it said that i was naturally talented at were basically things i'd actually try to scoop out of my life and so i remember I actually told somebody that I had, I had this idea in my head that the only way of becoming the person I dreamed of being was to figure out everything not to be. And so all the things, you know, I'm, I'm extroverted, I'm talkative. So I was always told, well, quiet people kind of win the day. And I'm really responsive and I kind of react and can see problems when they happen in the moment. People would say, well, you need to think before you act and slow down. And so I took Clifton Strengths, which is all about kind of showing our natural patterns of thought, feeling, and behavior, and seeing this list and realizing that I hated it. Not understanding that the true talents, which is the language that Gallup would use in the Strengths Finder, true talents are simply patterns. So they're tools. Your greatest contribution and your greatest liability are the same exact tool. It's how you apply it and how you use it. But I was so convinced that I should basically remove these patterns that some people liked or didn't like and kind of remove these habits that I thought weren't the best of me. And I was basically trying to scoop out my natural talent. And I think most people like me, now this is kind of over time it took me to realize this, I was convinced that if I simply worked hard enough, if I had the right degrees, if I got the right position, that those things would somehow make me valuable instead of realizing, look, you have some natural talent. Knowledge, skill, and experience shape that talent into strength. And so instead of me scooping out this natural ability, what if I actually pivoted, embraced it, and said, how do I leverage that moving forward? And that was a pretty transformational moment to stop scooping and try to start shaping what I already had. Yeah. And I really, I identified with what you talked about there because I am also an extrovert who likes to talk as uh, listeners may know from listening to this podcast. I also like to ask questions and listen to other people, which is why I started a podcast. But I've had many of those moments where I thought, God, Andy, if you would just stop talking so much, the people oh, who are able to be quiet and listen, they're the cool ones, right? You know, think back to school, like yeah. that quiet, you see the movies, like that cool, quiet guy that doesn't say much and everyone really admires him. Yeah, strong, silent type. That's what we have to be, right? Because they get the girl, they always win the day. Right, exactly. And I was like, okay, I'm going to be quiet more often, right? I'm just going to 
and I can't do it. You know, I just want to talk to people. At some point, you just kind of give up, quit beating yourself up, and ignore the shame and go, yeah, I'm going to have to be a person who expresses to the world. I better find people who like it. Yeah, and really start to embrace those strengths. So have you, um, you've worked with a lot of different people. I mean, have you, I imagine you've had that experience where you've worked with others that have had that sort of aha moment where something they were trying to suppress was actually the strength they should be. um, Yeah, I think one of the things I find is that because strengths are actually based on talent, which are based on patterns of thinking, feeling, behaving, the average human being makes about 30 to 40,000 decisions a day, most of which can't be accounted for. And so somebody's driving the bus. So there's natural ways of thinking and feeling. And so those come out of us. Well, we are truly so close to our talents and strengths usually that we don't see them. And in fact, we usually recognize things we put extra effort in or require a little more of us. Things that are simple, we are more likely to discard. We say, well, everybody can do that. We assume that there's nothing special in it because surely everybody can stand on a stage, Andy, and just talk to a thousand people. Surely we could just strike up a conversation with a total stranger when you and I both know that while we could do that, like breathing, there are people who would rather die than have to stand in front of a thousand people at a conference. And for us, we're like, yeah, it gets me excited. Like, let's go, let's do it. Right. And so most people will, especially themes that are introverted, people who are deliberative, which are very cautious, risk assessing thinkers, people who are disciplined, organized, people who have harmony and efficiency in their talent. They don't always see it as valuable because they don't see it as flashy enough. Ignoring the fact that in the right moment with the right partner that knows how to, that they can partner with other people, they're genius. In fact, they're often the linchpin to success long after the talkers like you and I have moved on. Yeah, absolutely. And it requires a little bit of self-discovery, right? To you know, identify what, what you're good at and what you really <laughs> enjoy. And then getting past a little bit of imposter syndrome, if you will, to yeah, say that like what I bring to the table is valuable to other people. So for you and I, as you know, it might be ability to stand in front of a large group, but for a lot of those, you know, yeah. introverted people, whatever, it might be project management details, things that I'm not good at that I need yeah. help with. Yeah. When I do strengths workshops for teams or different clients, um, I open every workshop the same way. I do give them four questions and they have 90 seconds to chat. Basically they're standing up kind of icebreaker. I ask things about being energized, things you lose track of time doing, but the last question that's always the fascinating one is, name the one thing you do better than anyone else you know. And half the room goes silent. The other half grown. There's always those three or four who raise their hand and go, I can only pick one. You know, I'm amazing. Yeah. Right? <laughs> but, the majority, but the majority of the rest of the crowd are going, well, I can't say that. One, what if it's not true? Right. Um, what if someone else doesn't agree with me? And so I'll say, but listen, here's the thing. If you don't know the one, there's not a scarcity mindset. There's not like a finite pool of things you can be great at. For you to say you're great at something doesn't mean that someone else isn't. The other component of this is, though, if you can't describe your greatest strength, your greatest contribution, how do you expect your boss, your partner, your line manager? You've got to be an expert on you so you have language to go, look, I bring this, but I also need this. This is the contribution you can count on me for. And I think every entrepreneur, every team leader, they need to be cultivating teams of people mm. that have the ability to say, this is what I bring. Because the reality is, I'm like, when I'm talking to organizations, I'm like, guess what? Your boss, is a, he sucks at mind reading. She is terrible at understanding what's going on in your head. So if you can't say, this is what I bring to the table, and this is what I need to be successful, this is what you can count on me for. If you can't describe that, what makes you think they can? You've got to be an expert on you. Yeah. 
you know, part of our culture, at least in the U.S. and Western society, I can't speak for the whole world, but I imagine this is pretty common, is that, you know, it's okay to kind of know what you're good at, but we're supposed to be humble and not really, other people right. are supposed to s- discover our strengths and, and reward us for that. And it's not cool to stand up and yeah. be like, hey, I'm really good at this. You should pick me for this. Unless we're in a job interview, then we're supposed to boast about ourselves yeah. all night long, right? But right. otherwise, you know, how do you get past that so that people like you recognize it and you're able to utilize it and tell people about it and not feel like you're being too cocky or egocentric or whatever the word might be? Yeah. There's a kind of an internal component of this is that talent by itself focused on yourself ends up serving just yourself. People don't want to hear that. But if you can talk about this is what I can contribute, mm. if you turn it out, the last chapter of the book, I talk about the power of generosity. I'm not talking about money and time as much as turning it out on other people, giving people the chance to be seen, helping people understand how they fit with you. If you naturally say, listen, I think I have this I can offer you and can contribute to you, people will listen. And in fact, they will then begin to tell the story of, man, Andy has the gift of making you feel understood. So when you come and say, can we talk? Because the reality is, I think I have the ability to help you understand. I can catalyze. I can help you put words to that. I suddenly don't mind that you just told me that you're doing something good because you're meeting a need. You're, you're building a relationship with me. If I show up just simply advocating for myself, going, I need you to see that I'm a genius. Well, that's a problem. But if I have a team lead and I go to her and I say, listen, it seems like you got these challenges. I would love to keep bringing this because one, it's life-giving for me, but two, it'd be, it'd be really valuable for me to play a part in your life. How can I play a part in this moment, in this project we're working on? And so I think we've got to champion our talents, but they're more profound when we turn them out. I think the world will listen to us more. Yeah, mm, makes sense. Michael, you also had a <clears throat> transformational moment that you talked about in the book where you looked up in the mirror one day and realized that you oh, didn't God. like the person you saw. I, you know, I read that and I know that it's something that I'm sure thousands of people can resonate with. Uh, you know, yeah. you go along living your life, you think you're supposed to live it, and then realize one day that you're not happy with who you are. So can you talk about that? Yeah, I mean, as I kind of was stepping into that, I was working at HP, and I, I was just scared to death of student loans at the time. And so I got that first job, and I'm working all the hours I can work. And before you know it, you just kind of get into that rut of working hours and trying to go through the motions. And I don't know, I guess it's true for all of us, we start to medicate. And for me, it was medicating with everything from TV to food, even alcohol. And you're kind of just basically not feeling the fact that one, you're overworking, you have no balance in your life. You're not making time. You have lost your priorities to the point where it would become so numb. You didn't even know why you were doing what you were doing. And I remember thinking, well, I am helping the company make money, but I'm like, is that a reason to get out of bed every morning? And I'm not a small guy even now, but I was about 350 pounds. I was an insomniac, but didn't know it. I think binging TV had just kind of started. And so you would watch, we'd do it on DVD back in the day. I'm old now. You'd get a box set of something and you'd, and I'd stay up all night and watch television and then crawl into work the next day and just lack of sleep, just high blood pressure. And it literally starts small though. It's the first choices that you're not thinking about. It's the small moments. It's not keeping track of your sleep, not keeping track of your weight, not keeping track of exercise habits, not having healthy mechanisms to actually manage stress in your life. And so one day, finally, I was pulling off the off-ramp on Bernardo Center Drive on Highway 15 in San Diego and got stuck at the light. And I remember being like, come on, come on. And traffic was backed up and I caught a glimpse of my face in the mirror. And I actually have a passport photo that was taken that week. Let me put it this way. The passport photo was so bad 
And now years later, having lost almost 100 pounds, I enter the country and the passport officer looks at me and said, wow, congratulations, welcome home. <laughs> nice. So I knew I was that rough, but I remember catch, but that day catching the glimpse in my face in the mirror and being like, this isn't my life. Well, then whose life is it? Yeah. And it was the life of something I'd heard from a guidance counselor or someone who said a good corporate job at HP was the answer. And I'm like, yeah, I, this just feels not like the life I dreamed of when I was 20. Yeah. And it was a moment for me. It wasn't like instantaneous, hey, I'm done, I'm leaving now. Yeah. It was that moment promptly followed by the Strengths Finder within like a month. It started me going, what if I have what I need? I just need to shape it. I need to care for it. I need to focus on it. And then I need to find a world that needs it instead of trying to not be something. And so finding a tool like the Strengths Finder, um, you mentioned the Hogan, which I, I'm a huge believer in. I love nice. the Hogan. It's a nice. great tool. Any tool that can give you language to go, look, let me understand this is the resource I have. This is what I'm good at. These are things I don't have to be. Now, how do I begin to shape that? How do I find a world that wants that? Yeah, so important. And I was going to ask you, for people that are in a similar situation, as we record this in November, yeah. I just posted a, a video on LinkedIn this morning about asking people, are you actually fulfilled with your life and your work? Are you pursuing your dreams? If not, you know, maybe it's worth some reflection, not major yeah. changes. You don't have to leave your job and go do something different like Michael did, but maybe think yeah. about what you are and you know, what you're doing, what your life looks like, and are you living the life you want? Do you work with people like that? Like, what do you recommend when yeah. you're in that kind of situation? Yeah, I think a good place to start, you're right, is the first piece is asking yourself the questions, to your mm -hmm. point. Like, find and encourage just to ask. It's okay to ask that question, how am I, what am I, how am I doing? Do I like where my life is going? One of the books that I really like, um, Gallup, a number of years ago, did a book called Wellbeing. And when I'm talking to clients and they've read it, or um, there's, they had talked about five different areas of well-being, as well as a kind of comprehensive approach to well-being. One of the questions I love is that, there's purpose, which is a career, kind of the purpose or career one. That's like your job. There's also financial, physical, relational, and then like community. So anyway, within those five, one of the things that I've actually over the years asked clients, okay, right now, how is your overall well-being? If there's 10 rungs on a ladder, imagine a ladder. What rung on the ladder are you? Take your gut. What rung on a ladder of, you know, 10 rungs are you at? And then you ask yourself, what right now in my life, three things would have to change for me to have said one rung up. If you said I'm five, what else, what three things right now would be different in your life that you would have said six, that you would have said maybe seven. And you start to ask those small questions. And I think anything that's kind of like a well-being book is you can, you can actually go in and kind of test yourself a little bit, but figuring out professionally, emotionally, meaning in relationships in your life, Physically, do you have enough energy to meet the demands of your day? Financially, are you living below your means? Community, are you in an area that you like where the direction the neighborhood's going, where you feel safe at night or you have clean air, clean water? Those are community components. I think starting to just basically take, take stock without fear, judgment, no shame of being where you are. It's not a mad, this isn't a pass fail, which is where it is. Because the next step then is, can you give yourself permission to want more? I meet people all the time who are reaching out to me, asking me about jobs they should take or things they should do. Should I apply for this job? What's a good job for my StrengthsFinder themes? And they're starting to look at jobs. They go to job sites, they go to Glassdoor, whatever. But the reality is they actually haven't given themselves permission 
to say, I actually want more. And so how do you find that space where you're like, it's okay that a job that served me well, it's okay that a place that I was that was good enough is no longer enough. See, we have an expectation that our little kids will outgrow the sippy cup. But we assume that what we've got today is going to be good enough four years from now. Yeah. But you'd never handle your hand your 16-year-old football player or soccer player right. a sippy cup of water. Right. When you start to realize that there's more you can do with your life, you can be an entrepreneur, you can be you know, living a strengths-based life, or you do the development work to develop, you will grow. Yeah. The good news is you'll grow. The bad news is you're going to outgrow the seat you're sitting in. Give yourself permission to want more. And then I always say that the last step on getting started here is, are you saying it out loud? Mm. The first thing, like when you really want to make a change, when you're like, man, I, I want something different for my life. You find people and you start booking two cups of coffee a week where you have conversations with others and you ask them about their life. And when the yeah. conversation's over, you say, you know, I'm really starting to think about a change. If you were me, is there a book you recommend, a person I should talk to, or a company I should reach out to? Because there's power in saying it out loud. Yeah. And here's the other thing. People want to help you. They want to help us. People yeah. love to be in a relationship with us. They don't want to offend you. They think your life is great. Yeah. So they don't know you're open. Right. So when you start to say it out loud, suddenly opportunities present themselves. Oh, yeah. We find it so hard to ask for help because we think it's going to make <laughs> us seem weak sometimes. But that's how you get help. And we love helping other people. So why do we always you know, rob yeah. our friends of that opportunity to help us? It's one of the most common out of the Clifton Strengths Finder themes. There's 34 of them. Um, one of the top five most commonly occurring Strengths Finder themes is a theme called strategic, which is about solving problems like dealing with backups, things mm -hmm. that are right in front of them. So the number one answer when I ask teams, what do you love to contribute? People will say solutions, problem solving. And then I'll say, okay, great. When was the last time you asked someone else to help you? Because the world is ready to help. They're actually excited to and yeah. most people will step in. We have to learn the posture of going, I lose nothing and I have no shame and going, hey, I have an open need. Any chance you're willing to step into that? Yeah, it's so interesting. I mean, I, I love helping people. I, I notice every time I get a chance to help someone with something, I get a, a true high from it. Wow. And it's funny how sometimes I'll be hesitant to ask people for help because I'm afraid I might, you know, inconvenience them even though I know how good it makes me feel. So it's just, a, it's, it's a habit to get into. And it's a strengths thing too, though, because the thing of it is, is that we think that everything we hate to do, that everyone else hates to do it. Mm -hmm. We're not realizing is that because strengths are diverse and there's a variety of natural talents, yeah. there are things that you hate to do that would be simple and like breathing for us to ask others. And so yeah. we assume if I don't like it, man, I'm pushing off my things I don't like. Right. Begging for that. They would love to do that. Yeah. On to someone else. So you talked about making these big changes and, and doing some introspective work and really understanding ourselves and being able to say it out loud. And, yeah. you know, for you and for me, for other people, it was, it was leaving our jobs, becoming more of you know, an entrepreneur. But it's not going to be that way. It doesn't have to be that way for a lot yeah. of people. I know you work with a lot of larger organizations. I'm sure you're not going yeah. in and sure. telling everyone to leave their jobs because that would be uh, yeah. you know, probably bad for your, your client and uh, you, yeah. know, you to work with them again. So yeah. what are the common things you work on with, you know, from an organizational standpoint? Yeah. How do you help companies and, and what do you see often that people are able to do with this stuff? Yeah, you know, well, so like right now, there's a, I have a number of executive coach coaching clients. They're like C-suite of 
unnamed, of course, but um, really large Fortune 100. And it's interesting. There's, a, there's two of them in particular I'm thinking of who, unbeknownst to each other, very similar challenges. They're executives. They've been in the company a long time, um, better part of 14 years, and have watched the evolution of things and are known for being, you know, they accomplish, they get things done, great strategic direction, really responsive. And for them, their big challenge right now is this suddenly there's an expectation of from the CEOs of the different companies, man, people don't necessarily love working for you. Man, sure, you get it done. You solve our problems. Your data is bulletproof. And people, when they move on out of your team, they don't feel cared for by you. They don't feel that you advocate for them. They don't feel like you're aware. In fact, when you give them work, it's crazy and busy on weekends. You think it's wonderful and it's a bonding experience. They think that you're out of your mind and then protect them from the workload. And so dealing with executive leaders, there's this progression of this gap of the, an age and experience. A lot of times, especially at the you know Fortune 100 companies, where they're having to learn something that the rest of the world is dealing with dramatically, uh, according to a, a survey last year, other than not being appreciated, the number one reason why people under the age of 35 quit their job in the last 18 months was lack of development opportunity. Is that people yeah. under 35 are going, is there room to grow? Yep. They don't want bosses. They want coaches and mentors. They don't want to be directed. They want collaborative experience. And they want they purpose want, and journey. They want to know where they're going. Exactly. And so it's funny. I'm having this conversation with my client and he's like, I feel like the rules have changed. Like yeah. I spent years and years of my life going hard numbers, meet your numbers, great strategy. It's all that matters. And now I'm having to learn a new language and good news for him. He's willing to step into it, but it's a lack of awareness of impact on culture is that as leaders, the transactional and strategic decisions, they have also a cultural impact, the way you communicate it, the way you hold priorities, the way you value individuals growth. Like that's a big challenge right now is this gap of the transactional leader and the leader who actually understands human beings because the days of ignoring the emotional health of your team is over. Yeah. And I, I've had many conversations with people in talent development, different areas, different industries. And I'm hearing this a lot that the younger generation, especially, and, and they're pushing this, they really value understanding their development and where they're going yeah. in their career. They want to know that. They want to have those coaching conversations. It doesn't necessarily have to be with their manager. Ideally, yeah. it is, but it could be with other people. And they want the training. They want to know that they're learning, they're growing. It's not just about money like it used yeah. to be in the old days, get your paycheck and go home. And companies that are not providing that are losing their good employees yeah. to go somewhere else where they feel like they have a purpose or they're able to grow. Yeah. And that's that reality is that you have to begin to speak that and see that and make plans for that, not just in corporate environments. So one of the things I do, StrengthsFinder is a tool that gives language. So the Clifton StrengthsFinder is a tool that gives language. But this concept of start with strength is kind of a bigger idea. So I've begun doing some work in international development, um, specifically for a company called TetraTech, which is, they're basically a, they're a consulting firm, but we do projects in international development. So um, I work on a security project in Afghanistan, a police corruption reform project in Nigeria, as well as other things. But what I'm realizing is, to kind of bring it back to what we're talking about, is that when you have problems, you have all these companies and firms and politicians and civic groups, they come up with strategies. So great, here's a problem, here's a strategy. Ignoring that between these two things, are human beings. We think that information is transformation. So we'll write great white papers on how to do reform. And so then I'm gonna go tell you about that and you're simply gonna be transformed by my telling. 
And so then when I'm on the ground in Afghanistan with the World Bank, with the UN, talking to these organizations, and I'm going, so the strategy is clearly not working. What did you do? Well, we wrote a new strategy. And I'm like, but, but that one didn't work. Well, we wrote a new strategy. Yeah. Between our problem and our idea, our human beings. And this is the space that you and I sit in is that mm. leaders have got to understand that you've got to translate this information through the lens of the fact that people listen differently, they prioritize differently. And this is the reason why this information isn't being transformational because we're not coaching. We're not focusing on the development. We're not focusing on the human being yeah. because it's not as quite clean. It's not quite as clean as a good formula. Yeah. And that, that stuff is so important. I mean, there's a human element to business everywhere. We forget sometimes, even if, especially if you work in big companies like I do that, I mean, yeah. it's all made up of people. It's people that have goals yeah. that are trying to achieve certain things. Um, they have emotions, they have reasons, they have purpose. We talked about leadership and the, the, you know, sort of the game changing a little bit and people being willing to ask for help as you yeah. see leaders evolve and help them become better leaders. How much does vulnerability play into that too? Cause I, I talk about that a lot these days. Yeah leaders needing to be more vulnerable. How much do you see that as being important? I mean, I think it's one of those key elements of the team will never go further than the leader. Mm. And so whether or not it's safe enough for me to be vulnerable depends upon whether or not you have created that space. And that can be one in you leading by example, but also two, showing me that you're willing to protect my vulnerability. That even while we may be a group of peers and you're a player coach, we're meaning you're involved in project two, but you're still the team lead. I think the team lead basically sets all the tone for that. And so I have to understand what is the level of vulnerability I bring and am I fostering that in other people? Because there's the modeling, but then there's also the advocacy. People want someone to basically be their advocate, to kind of stand in front of the bully that they're afraid of when it comes to being actually vulnerable. And I think too, like when it comes to in that moment, as a member of a team versus being the leader of a team, there's different responsibilities, right? My vulnerability, I have to be intentional about that vulnerability, meaning I don't turn my team into my therapy session. Or I'm going to tell you everything. Hey, hey, team, I know people that do. They use, they, well, I'm just being vulnerable. I read Brene Brown's book and vulnerability is great. I'm like, it is a great book, but you kind of missed the point. Like, you don't turn your team into your therapist, into your children to do your dirty work. You choose to say, you know what, I'm going to share so they feel apart. I'm going to give them something that they can find themselves in. I'm going to share my vision. I'm going to share my greatest experience, invite them and in, into the conversation and listen. And so knowing the vulnerability is a real gift and like everything, it has to be used well because like strengths, your greatest strength, your, your talents are great strengths. They're also liabilities. Vulnerability can be useful and foster great culture. It can also be used to make yourself feel good and exhaust your team if you don't use it right. So important. And there is a balance there, like you said. So you learned all these things that you've been traveling about and you, you wrote this book, uh, Extraordinary, The World Sold You a Map. So yeah. why did you write the book and what are one or two other key things that, that came out of that? Yeah, the book for me was I wanted to write, I wanted to like, give people the starting point to ask questions about personal development. Like, because when I realized that on my off-ramp day, like I had basically numbed myself to every question. Like there was no, there was no concept of where to even ask all the questions. The only question that came to mind was who is that person in the mirror? That was the only question I knew. And thankfully, you know, for whatever reason, in that moment, I was able to kind of hear that question. But I think, and so the idea is that this is a compass 
the world sold you a map, what you need is a compass, is this idea of you can't follow anyone else's path. And so there's four different sections of this book, identity, permission, courage, and generosity. And I set it up kind of saying, look, you can enter in almost anywhere here. You may be like, yeah, I know myself. I know my talents and my strengths. I'm great. But the question then is, why do you have no vision permission? Why aren't you acting? Are you leaving part of the world out of your story? Or courage. Do you understand what it means to be courageous? And one of the big takeaways for me, even as writing and talking and asking myself and others what they understood about courage, is this reality that when you confront fear with sacrificial action, the most common everyday behavior can become courageous. Is that things we're afraid of, when we instead of choosing our own, but choose to put someone else first, a cause first, a belief first, a sacrificial action, it produces courage. So suddenly prioritizing your child over spending another hour in email becomes a common, what I call common courage. It becomes a courageous act. And so it's a matter of giving something bigger. But that means that you have to have clarity about the things in your life that are worth sacrificing for, which means that, you know, you need to have, know your identity. You need to know what exactly in your life you are passionate about, where your talent meets your purpose, which meets your passion. And I think permission is an interesting one. That's one for people that usually kind of catches them. They're like, what do you mean by permission? I don't need anybody's permission. I'm like, you're right. But if you think about it, in the first 20 years of your life, we're listening to people as our brains are being formed and they're either endorsing us or they're basically dragging us down. And then and some of us leave our 20s, leave our, you know, our teens feeling like we can conquer the world. And we've been well endorsed and we believe in ourselves. We have lots of permission. But those who don't, you spend the rest of your life trying to convince yourself that you have permission to be extraordinary. And so we try to get it from social media. We try to get it from books. So I kind of walk through what does it mean to cultivate solid relationships of authority, like surrounding yourself with people who are vulnerable, like you said, who know their strengths, who take risks, and then look at you and say, wow, Andy, you're amazing. I just see what you're trying to do and how that's transformative. And then relationships end up in generosity. Generosity kind of pulls us all together, pulls us forward like gravity in some way. So I wanted to give a book that people could start this process and they could enter it anywhere by asking themselves good questions about what to do next. It's fantastic. I mean, it's something that it can be useful for anyone, no matter where you are in life. And Perfect. I think about that idea of permission. And you're right. I mean, we most of us spend our whole our younger lives and some of us our whole lives seeking permission and you know, affirmation, approval, whatever it is from other people. And the moment that we truly give ourselves permission to live the life we want to live and yeah. not worry about what other people think is, yeah. I think when we just, we, it builds confidence and you can really, you know, establish true happiness in your life. And yeah. I've made that, that transition and um, I love my life as a result, but it's different for everybody. It's different in every yeah. position. Some people are in certain <coughs> things they're not necessarily going to love, but it's fulfilling enough. And they've got them to do other things. Um, you've got to just kind of be honest about where you are with all these yeah. things. And then also help people within your organizations identify that stuff too. Last question there from a, a talent development perspective is you've worked with a lot of organizations, yeah. looking at leadership strategies like that. For yeah. people who are trying to give their people the right uh, knowledge, learning capabilities, they, they need to go out and do their jobs correctly. You know, those mm -hmm. talent development leaders, if you will, L&D. What other yeah. advice do you have for them to try to drive a good learning organization that's going to keep their people engaged and, you know, want to stay there fulfilled and understanding, you know, their, their own strengths and yeah. how to utilize those? Yeah, I think 
there's a couple of different pieces. I believe in starting strong is a great way to start is that L&D investment made into simply fixing employees um, is usually actually a, a real waste. And so finding ways to say, let's find learning and development opportunities that they have talent for in some ways to kind of create progress. Um, but the other thing is that you really want to create an empowered workforce, like figuring out ways to have them, to have employees talk about what they want and need, how it is they would describe their own needs, not just the needs of, well, your, your feedback on your last performance evaluation said this. So clearly you need to be more organized and we're going to do this. Gallup did some research, a big study about a year ago. It was millennials in the workplace, but the reality was they'd asked the same questions over 40 years. One of the takeaways they came about that quote millennials wanted from their bosses was they wanted to be seen as holistic, not just an employee, not just a cog in a wheel. But what was interesting is, is that compared to every preceding generation, when it came to initiating that conversation, they were the generation that felt the least capable of initiating a development conversation. And so they want development. There was a desire to be invested in, but they didn't always know how to actually ask the question. Yeah. They didn't know how to say, this is what I need. They didn't know how to even initiate in some ways. And I think L&D has got to find ways to start to say, you know what? I see you as an employee more than just a performance evaluation. Here's how we are describing your talents and we want to develop. How do you describe that? Where are you meeting in the middle? Because I think making sure that they actually, there's a kind of a co-vision from the organization as well as the employee. If you have an employee who's generating and kind of driving that direction, you don't have to be a mind reader. You don't have to constantly listen, thinking, well, I'm going to prescribe this for you. You want to push that employee to go, you own your development. You know, there's opportunities. I'll often say to people, they'll be like, well, there's just not opportunities for development. I'm like, what have you asked for that you've been denied? Yeah. Well, I haven't asked. I'm like, wait a minute. What are you waiting? We have to shift so that employees are going, let me ask for something. A colleague I used to work with, and she always used to say, healthy people ask for what they want. Hmm. They don't hint, they don't shame, they don't imply, they ask. It doesn't mean they always get. If L&D can say, look, our posture towards you, employee, is one of ask for it. If we can do something that makes you the best version of you, aids your contribution, and gives you a better future, let's try. If we can't, we'll tell you. But finding staff, kind of mobilizing employees to go, let me ask for what I need in my own development, it's a big step. That's big right there. I can make a big difference. I love it. Michael, this has been great for anybody listening who wants to get in touch with you, maybe work with you. Yeah. What's the best place for them to go to? Just head on out to michaeldaphne.com. That's um, Michael, obviously, D-A-U-P-H-I-N-E-E.com. And yeah, there's a lot of different ways on that first page. You'll find, shoot me an email. It'll say, reach out. And I actually check that every day. So you'll get a direct email from me. Say hi. Also, I'm on Instagram at mdaph, M-D-A-U-P-H, and pretty much everything else, social media. I'm going to have to look you up on Insta. Are you posting photos from all your travels, all these countries? Oh, yeah. Pretty much all the time. Awesome. I'm going to check that out. All right, Michael, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast. This has been really great. A lot of great insight, interesting story. It's been fascinating to me. I hope it's been interesting to our listeners as well. And I uh, hope you have a great day. Thanks much. So 